Mrs. McCready. I'm afraid so. The professor is unaccustomed to having children in this house. And as such, there are a few rules we need to follow. There will be no shouting or running, no sliding on the banisters, no touching of the historical artifacts. And above all, there shall be no disturbing of the professor. 96, 97, 98, 99, 100. Ready or not, here I come. Christmas, everybody. Here we are. This is it. Like tomorrow morning, it's the day, right? How many of the kids in the house are excited about Christmas? <laughs> Guys, not okay. Not okay. We'll try that again real quick. How many of the kids in the house are excited about Christmas? That's a little bit better. Yes. This is it. This is when we enter into that time of year where we get to celebrate the extraordinary story of Christmas, right? And boy, what a story it is. This story that we are celebrating and the events that take place around this story are really almost fairy tale like aren't they? I mean, when you listen to them, even through a child's book, it stirs in you as an adult or a child the wonder of these magical moments that are taking place. And the reason that this story feels so fairy tale like is because it is a story surrounded by events that are not natural and normal to us human beings. In other words, there are supernatural events taking place in this story. And because of that, it is an extraordinary story. Now, there is in this story the conception of a child in Mary's womb, though she is a virgin. There are angels involved in the story declaring things. There is a star that appears in the sky that doesn't belong. There are people that travel great distances because they've put two and two together and follow that star. There's all of these things that take place that seem so, so extraordinary, right? And so this story becomes wondrous. And as we enter into our day tomorrow, it is this story that we go and revisit. Because this story in our annual calendar is worthy of revisiting year after year after year. Partly because it is such a wonderful story with such wonderful supernatural events taking place on our planet 
that makes it worthy of revisiting. But more importantly, it is a story that doesn't just take place and we enjoy watching it. It is a story that has real implication to our own lives. And so it's a story that matters to us and to our humanity. It is a turning point in our human story. So certainly worthy of revisiting every year. And that's what we're going to do tomorrow. However, if tomorrow... Our celebration and our revisiting becomes exclusively or even primarily about the events that uh, surround the birth of Jesus and we stay in that story, then we will miss the true power and the true intent of the Christmas celebration. In, In fact, not only will we miss the true power and the true intent of the Christmas celebration in celebrating this story, but inevitably what will happen is that this extraordinary story will become ordinary to us in its repetition. In other words, as we listen to it over and over again, if it is only about that story, an event in our past that is long, long ago that happens to be super cool, eventually it will become normal to us because that's what we do. When historical events are repeated, and then what happens is that the celebrator, the celebration of the day becomes about the celebration itself and not about the story, right? So the story is background noise. We know what it's about. But what we really get lost in, what we really get captivated by, is the celebration itself. And so lies for us the great tragedy of what tomorrow might become. And we don't want that to happen. So... Over this Christmas season, since the beginning of December, we here at Mosaic Church have been traveling alongside the masterpiece that C.S. Lewis wrote in the Chronicles of Narnia. We've been traveling alongside that story because C.S. Lewis wrote that story as an expression of his discovery of the scriptures that revealed our human story and how it relates to God. So C.S. Lewis takes the truths of Scripture and he writes them into this wondrous story of the Chronicles of Narnia. And we, the audience, are invited into that adventure with four children. Four children leave London during a war zone to try to escape the raw and ugly realities of mankind, and they go to the countryside to a boring old house where they will be safe. Little do they know that in this boring old house there is a doorway into a world of such wonder that they cannot even begin to imagine it. But more than just wondrous things in this world, there are truths to be discovered about who they are and why they exist and what they were made for that they had no idea about. That world is the world of Narnia. In the world of Narnia, all of the central characters are discovered. Uh, Above all else, the one most central, the lion Aslan, who is the great redeemer and great king, who is the one affecting this brand new redemption for these children, showing them who they actually are and what they're actually made for and, and helping them discover the extraordinary freedom of their lives. But... In order to experience all of the adventures that Narnia is, we need the most famous item in the entire story. And what is that? The great 
wardrobe, right? The wardrobe is the most famous item in the story because the wardrobe is the doorway into Narnia where all the discoveries, all the truths, all of the adventure exists. If there is no wardrobe, there is no Narnia. There is no adventure. There is no discovery. There is no change and redemption or any of the other things that make those books so wondrous and so beautiful to travel through. Now, even though the wardrobe is critical to the story, we cannot have the story without it. The story is not about a wardrobe, is it? The story is not about a wardrobe. Can you imagine if the entire set of books that C.S. Lewis wrote called The Chronicles of Narnia were the Chronicles of Wardrobe? And as we stepped into them, each book described the wardrobe even more than the book before it. How many books would you read before you go, I get the wardrobe? You can only say so much about a wardrobe before it's just a wardrobe. But it's not about a wardrobe. It's about something far bigger than that. But we need the wardrobe. What we discovered as we traveled alongside the Chronicles of Narnia is that the Christmas story is very much like the wardrobe. The story is not about the birth of Jesus. That is not the central reality around which we discover the new lives that we know to be true because of the scripture. It is the beginning of a story that helps us discover the grand nature of God's plan for us and what he's doing in us. The Christmas story is critical because without it, we have no rest of the adventure. But it is not what we must centralize ourselves around. The story is not about the events that took place at the birth of Jesus. The story is about what transpires because Jesus was born. The Christmas story is our doorway into the grand adventure. And then the obvious question becomes, if it's a doorway into the grand adventure, what is it a doorway showing us in this grand adventure? Well, we traveled through that over the last few weeks, and we have made some extraordinary discoveries again, been reminded of some extraordinary things. In our human story, God created us, if you've been here, you remember, uh, in circumstances beyond anything we can imagine. He created us into a place that was the full expression of freedom where we had no obstacle, no hindrance, no struggle, no difficulty. It was a place called the Garden of Eden. And in that place, the reason the place was all that was because our relationship with God was unhindered and our entire experience of God was freedom, which meant we knew nothing except for the fullness of freedom. And God did not only create us so that we would know freedom because we had unhindered relationship with him, but he also created us so that we could express that freedom to one another, becoming image bearers of the creator himself, demonstrating what he is and what he has done for us, what he has become for us to each other and to all of creation. We lost that beautiful life when we bought into the lie that the enemy of God brought to the table in the Garden of Eden. He convinced us through Adam and Eve that if we were to eat of the fruit that we were not to touch, we would not discover death, but we would discover divinity. We would be like God, and then we would be ultimately free because we could be our own master, write our own story, and image our own life. In that 
we ate of the forbidden fruit thinking we would discover divinity and instead we discovered exactly what God said we would, which was sin which corrupts and erodes and produces death. What we are told in scripture is in that active disobedience in stepping into our own story, sin came in and it destroyed our souls. It killed our soul. Our souls died then and they have been dead because of that. When a human being is born into this life, into a body with a dead soul, it leaves us enslaved to the pursuit of things that will try and measure and fill and accomplish what we need to feel. And so what happens is from the time we enter this planet, we are fixated on whatever is going to make us okay, right? Have you ever seen a one and a half year old or a two year old sit back and go, you know what? My parents seem tired. They've been working hard. They haven't slept much. I think I'm going to sleep through the night and relax and give them a break. No, a, a child that is small because they do not know and cannot comprehend the reality are fixated on whatever it is they need. And it makes sense because they're little. But the reality is from that point onward throughout our life, we become people that are so enslaved by our emptiness that we pursue anything that will fill us. We believe in our relationships we will find fullness. We believe in our resources we will find fullness. We believe in our circumstances we will find fullness if we can control them. And if we can do none of those things, then we resolve ourselves to a survivalist mindset where we just try to survive until something changes. And that is our life. On top of that, because we were created with this extraordinary purpose to image the freedom that we experience from intimate, unhindered relationship with God, that purpose is also lost to us. We have nothing to image because we only have ourselves and we are dead. And so what we begin to do is we chase after anything that will help us feel important, feel like we matter, feel significant. We write books about significance. We have seminars about significance. We tell you only do things that will make you significant because we want to feel like we matter. Don't you want to matter? I want to matter. I don't want to wake up in the morning and not matter. And so we pursue the reality that we need to matter. But everything we pursue, what ends up happening is in its eventual state, even though for a period of time in life it may feel like enough, it never ends up being enough. And so that deadness of soul and that, that loss of purpose begins to drive a life that Solomon says in the scriptures is a chasing after the wind. On top of that, the scriptures also reveal to us that we were not created to be temporal beings only on this planet, but we were created to be eternal beings. And so at some point when we leave the temporal reality in which we live now, we will enter into eternity and it is only there that we will experience the full expression of our soul death, the full expression of what separation from God looks like and the picture it paints is not a picture that is pretty. It is not a picture that paints a picture of hope for us. And so our future is not hopeful. Our present is not full and free. And our purpose feels lost to us. It is into that human mess that the Christmas story inserts itself, right? This, this story with 
supernatural, extraordinary events around it that seem relatively random. Some angels in a field with some shepherds, a town of Bethlehem, a virgin birth, a, a star in the east, some people traveling, some events that take place, but none of them turn out to be random. They are all carefully placed into the story because it turns out before the Christmas story that God had revealed to the Jewish people through prophecy and revelation in the Word of God that He was setting up a plan, a promise that would ultimately reshape our destiny and our future and give us all the things back that we had lost in our act of disobedience. And so enters the Christmas events. For us, because it's in the past, we realize their full implication, but at that time, it would have just been some events. For a few people who recognized the significance, but had no idea how big they would become. For us, the real wonder in those events happens as the person of Jesus grows up. He becomes a man, and he begins to teach, and when he teaches, he teaches such extraordinary things about things we cannot imagine that people say, how can this man teach with such authority? What he begins to teach is that he himself has come as the person of God, the Christ, the Messiah, to set things right, to redeem us, to restore us, to rescue us. And when he's done with us, then despite our dysfunction, we will be okay. We will be new and we will be important and we will matter. And he begins to teach these things and something stirs in us and we go, wow, if that would only be true, maybe it is. And then his life displays it. He lives, he dies, he rises from the dead, and he declares in his risen form to his disciples and many others, see, I told you. See, I told you. And then he tells them, now, you're going to be empowered, you're going to have full life, be free, because I will bring your soul to life and rescue your soul. I'm going to restore your purpose. You're going to be my witnesses to this redemptive reality of rescue to the whole world. And your future, when you experience it, will now be the full expression, not of separation from God, but the full expression of intimacy with God. And so the future starts looking super bright, super bright. It is later on where one of the apostles, Paul, writes about these realities in a paragraph that, in my opinion, is the most beautiful single display of all that occurred because Jesus came, lived, died, rose from the dead, and rescued our story. In Ephesians chapter 2, listen to what he says. Paul writes here, and this is what he writes. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you and I were dead in our transgressions and sins. It's not our behaviors that made us dead. We were dead because the corruptive nature of sin and the erosive nature of sin had produced death in us. We were dead in our sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is not about behaviors. It's saying your pursuits, my pursuits were single-mindedly about ourselves. Even in our relational dynamics, our resource dynamics, it was about trying to figure out how this makes me and my life more significant, better in any way. Pursuing those things. Listen to this. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. So we know that God has made our soul that was dead alive, which means that the experience of having a dead soul and trying to need to fill it is no longer a necessity for us. We now have a unique freedom. And though we may fall back into old patterns to try to do that, those are not necessary. They are falling back into old patterns. But even when we do, even when the circumstances play into our lives, our dysfunctions have their way, we find ourselves as we progress back in the freedom of what we know our souls now are because of Christ. Now watch, it's not done yet. By grace you have been saved, I'm sorry, go back one. Made us to, to alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, that's our future, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Our future is a future of intimacy with God where his immeasurable riches of grace will be poured on us in kindness toward us for our future. It is an intimacy and a freedom that will be fully realized in our eternal future. Now look at this. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate by the giving of gifts because we see Christ as the gift of God to us, right? But the gift of God is not a baby born. The baby born is the beginning of the gift of God, which is the full life, death, resurrection, and implications of that baby's birth, life, and death, and resurrection. And because of that, the gift of God is an eternal future that is bright, a present reality of an alive soul that is full, and, look, not quite done, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We matter to the story. God has prepared in advance for us to walk in works that are good because he has made us for them to image and to display the freedom that we now have in an alive soul and a future that is restored, redeemed, and beautiful. See, our life because of the Christmas story is utterly different just like the kids in the story of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia discovered as well. The Christmas story that we celebrate tomorrow is the doorway into the wondrous story of the gospel, the good news. That's why we really realize the fullness of the story that the angels were declaring to the shepherds in the story. Listen to this. Listen to what the angels say. You heard it, but listen to it again. Luke chapter 2. There were some shepherds in a field. And while they were in the field, it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, as would I be and you be. And the angel said to them, Fear not, here it is, listen carefully, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, the great news, the great joy that the angel was declaring was the story that a Savior was born, the Christ was born, to do all of the things that we could not yet have known as shepherds in that field. 
but that we know now because we have seen through history the full implications of the story. Tomorrow, you and I will be tempted to get lost in the celebration of Christmas. We, we will be, because it's easy. It's a lot of stuff going on, right? And now, after repetition of many years of growing up with a Christmas story, the Christmas story will be background noise and the celebration, the trees, the tinsel, the presents, the stuff, the meals, the family, the friends, that all will be what we are captivated by, what we are lost in. Or, you will be lost in the stress of the day, depending on whether you're hosting the event or not, right? If you're not hosting the event, you'll get caught up in the celebration. If you're hosting it, you'll be caught up in the stress. That is going to be a reality we will all face tomorrow. But what I would like to challenge you on, as I also am challenged, is that what we would get lost in tomorrow, what we would trust God and ask God to captivate us with tomorrow, is not simply the events of the Christmas story or the celebration of those events, but the implications of that story, the great news of the gospel, that because Christ came, we have a soul that is alive. Because Christ came, we have a future that is hopeful and bright. And because Christ came, we matter to the story. And the, the life we live, despite the circumstances, despite the relational dynamics challenges, despite the resource dynamics and challenges in which we find ourselves, they will all play into a purpose that God is writing in us and through us because he promised the work he began in us, he will complete and he will make us complete that he has made us for a story on this planet and he will author that story in us, around us, and through us. That is great news. And we ought to celebrate that great news. So tomorrow, for your Christmas and mine, may we look through the celebration into the events of the Christmas night, the Christmas day, then through those events into the gospel itself and all that it has affected for you because of the great work of Christ. And then may we celebrate our freedom because of his birth. Because that's what tomorrow is really about. It is about what he has affected so that we might be free. And when we celebrate our freedom, then we will express that freedom in the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control in the way that we live our lives. And in that expression, we will find ourselves in the cycle that God created us for, to experience freedom, to express freedom, to celebrate freedom, and to be free. Isn't that what Galatians says when Paul writes in Galatians 5.1? It is for freedom that he has set you free. And that is an awesome thing. And that is worth celebrating tomorrow. And that reality will not get lost among the celebration if we use the events of Christmas to fix our eyes on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas to all of you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that the Christmas story in of itself is not the end but the beginning. It is not what the story is about, but it is a critical piece of the story. Just like the wardrobe, famous in every way, but it's not what the books are about. May we utilize our day tomorrow as we celebrate the events that took place at your birth as a way to be reminded of what those events then transpired into. So that what we celebrate tomorrow is your 
great love for us that has affected for us a soul that is alive, a purpose that is restored, and a future that is bright so that we might celebrate the freedom that you have given us that we lost in our active disobedience and that you have gifted back to us in your active love for us. May tomorrow be surprising and delightful in among the celebration as we have moments of clarity where you captivate our hearts by the great wonder of the gospel so that we might be lost in what you've done for us. God will need your help on that because we will easily get lost in the stress of the day or the celebration of the day. And we don't want to do that. We want those to be nothing but tools by which we can experience you. So God, we look forward to utilizing the gift that Christmas is to stare deeply into the wonder that you are to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.